This morning we're continuing on with our summer sermon series entitled, You Asked It. We're working through different questions that have been submitted by members of the congregation. This morning we're turning our hearts and our minds to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, beginning with the first verse. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word this morning. We ask that you take your word now and uh, transform our thinking. We ask that you take your word this morning and give us a vision of the life you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. I assume the majority of you are just like me. When you bite into a nice brownie, you expect that first bite for there to be no nuts. But not just that, but the second and the third bite in as well, you expect there to be no nuts. When you take a bite of very nice dessert and you get that first taste, what do you expect the second and the third bite? That same taste. No one likes to take a bite, the first taste is great, and the third bite's like, oh, there was an almond in there. Who did that? We want consistency, right? We want it to be the same throughout. And I would contend that the majority of you this morning want consistency in other areas of your life as well. I assume that the majority of you go to a lot of the same stores. You go to the same store because you know what you're going to get. If you go to that store and you get bad customer service one day or you get a bad product, the chance of you returning is pretty slim. And you expect when you go back the next time to get the exact same thing. We want consistency. And not only that, but then in our relationship with other people. How many of you one day want someone to treat you well, and the next day you hope they treat you like a jerk? We want consistency from people in the way that they treat us. And we want to be consistent with other people. Consistency is a popular thing. Actually, one of the greatest charges brought against Christians today, if you look at any survey about what non-Christians think about Christians, one of the top three things in almost every survey done by George Barna is hypocrisy. When Christians look at, when non-Christians look at Christians, the thing that bothers them the most is hypocrisy. When Christians say one thing and do another, even non-Christians see the need for consistency where what you say matches what you do. The question that we're dealing with this morning is, comes across as maybe a very simple, plain question. Not, not a lot of sizzle. But actually, it's the most straightforward question that maybe has the most fruit for us. And that question is, what does it mean to be a consistent Christian? And how do you be a consistent Christian? 
What does it mean to be a consistent, consistent Christian? And how do you be a consistent Christian? This morning from John chapter 15, Jesus gives us a very good picture of what it means to be a consistent Christian because Jesus lays out what he's calling each of us to do. The verses that we read from John chapter 15 are very familiar to the majority of us. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And in the midst of this story, there's actually only one command given to you and I. Only one command found in John chapter 15. If you look with me, it's found in verse 4. That command to you and I is simply this. Jesus says, abide in me. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to do. He's preparing his followers for life after he leaves. This is right in the final days of Jesus' earthly life. He's just about to be crucified, and then later he will ascend into heaven. He's preparing his followers for life after his physical presence. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. Abide in me. Now, we don't use the word abide a lot. I mean, when's the last time your buddy was going on vacation and you said, well, how long will you be abiding at your in-laws? And there's no signs along the interstate for a hotel that say, abide here for the evening. The word abide simply means remain. Stay here a while. And so Jesus is saying to his followers, remain with me. Stay here with me. So we want to unpack a little bit. What does it mean to remain with Jesus? Very simply put, to remain with Jesus is to be united to Jesus. In another place, Jesus uses the famous words, if you're ever heavy laden, sound familiar? If you're ever heavy laden, weak and sorrowful, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. What Jesus is actually saying there is he's using a farm illustration. He's saying, hey, come and be united to me. I'm not sure if we have any people that are old enough. I'm looking here this morning. I see Steve over here. I'm not sure. Thing, but uh, those that would farm actually before the days that there was any machinery. And before those days, you had oxen that would help plow the field. Well, the thing that kept the oxen together was a yoke. You put the yoke on and it brought two together, you had more power. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, come and be united to me. Basically, come and live in tandem with him. To remain in Christ or to abide in Christ is to, to be yoked to Christ. It's to remain in tandem together, to be united together. So to be a consistent Christian is to be united to Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, to be united to someone can simply be described as two different things. If you're united to someone, you love what they love. And if you're united to someone, you despise what they despise. So for example, today if you were to unite yourself with a certain political person, you probably would because you like what they like. You're like, well, what they're for, I'm also for. And at the same time, what they're opposed to, I'm opposed to. That's what it means to be united to, to someone who's leading you or a person alongside you. So to be united to Jesus is to be for what Jesus is for and to despise what Jesus despises. And Jesus is calling us today to remain with him or to be united to him on a day-to-day -day basis. 
The problem for the majority of us and the majority of society is Christianity is not about abiding with Jesus, but Christianity has become about avoiding bad things. This past week, I decided to do a little lawn work at home. The lawn was getting kind of weedy out front, and especially along the driveway where people are kind of constantly walking. It's basically just turned to dirt and weeds, so I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just pull all those weeds out. We'll get some nice grass growing there. So my daughter and I went outside, and she did the majority of the supervising, and I did the majority of the pulling, saying, we got all of the weeds pulled, and it looks really nice. Thing Came back the next day. There's no grass. But I pulled all the weeds. I cleaned out all the bad stuff. But there's still no grass there. You can't just pull out all the bad weeds and expect a couple days later to have what? A flush lawn. You got to do what? Put some seed back into the ground. It's not just about pulling out the bad and leaving it saying, well, I hope it gets better. We all know what will happen. The weeds will return. And as followers of Christ, Jesus doesn't say here, hey, I'm leaving, so just continue to avoid all the bad stuff. A life in Christianity is not a life of avoidance, but rather it's a life of abiding in Jesus. It's not always being against stuff, but it's being for stuff. And we've got to change our mentality that a lot of us, we judge how good of a Christian we are based upon are we avoiding the big sin stuff. And you know what I'm talking about. The big sin stuff. The sins that everybody else knows about, that the church talks about and that we have written policies against, right? You're a good Christian if you're avoiding the big ones. And that's what we talk about. Avoid this. But Jesus doesn't say avoid. He says abide. One of my greatest fears as a parent, and and especially growing up in a Christian home, I'm not saying this happened, but this is one of the tendencies that can happen, is that we constantly are saying, no, no, no that my child will grow up and someday they will think Christianity is all about, well, if I'm just not doing X, I'm pleasing God. Christianity is not about no, no, no. It's about yes, yes, yes to Jesus. Jesus says here to abide in Him, to remain united to Him. This morning, some of you have avoided the big sins. That's great. Congratulations. And you've been to church your whole life. Yet at the same moment, you've actually never abided in Christ. You wonder why there's no joy, there's no actual desire, there's no hunger for more. It's because you're just avoiding, you're not abiding. Jesus is saying today, abide in me. Jesus wants today to be united to you. Not just for you to be avoiding the big things. Because look back up with me, if you would, at verse 3 in John 15. Avoiding the big sins doesn't make us clean. What makes us clean? John 15, verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then he says, Abide in me. Notice Jesus does not say, Hey, abide in me so you will be clean. Or, you will be clean because you are abiding in me. Jesus says, Hey, you're already clean. Or in other words, You're already forgiven because of the word I've spoken to you. Now he gives the command, abide in me. Your goodness is not dependent upon your consistency with Christ. Your goodness is dependent upon your confession of faith in Christ. 
And when we have that confession of faith in Christ, Christ declares us clean and He invites us to abide in Him. To be a consistent Christian is to experience the cleansing power of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done for us through Christ, and then to abide in Christ, to remain in Him. So the question then is, well, how? How do I abide in Jesus? And I'm coming to the table this morning assuming that the majority of you here today would walk out the door saying, yeah, I want to be a consistent Christian. That some of you are just here, let's be honest, some of you are just here for the sake of being here, that's fine. This is an opportunity for you to hear what it would mean to be a consistent Christian. But I believe a majority of you do want to be a consistent Christian. So therefore, the question would be, how? How can I abide in Christ? Well, John 15 doesn't lay out a nice little formula of, hey, here, now do this. He just says, abide. So what we have to do is we've got to look along in the New Testament and say, okay, what did the disciples do to abide in Jesus? We want to turn our attention to the how for a little while this morning. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What we're going to look at is just a couple of sentences here that are talking about life after Jesus. Basically, Jesus has ascended into heaven. The disciples are regrouping. The disciples are now beginning to build the church. And we get a description of what the disciples do. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what we have here is a simple description of what's happening with the disciples after Jesus has ascended to heaven. It's very simple. What did they do? They gathered together regularly regularly to have teaching for fellowship, which means they were having community life together. They were breaking bread. They were sharing in communion for the forgiveness of sins, and they were giving prayers together. This was their life. In very simple sense, what they were doing is they were developing new disciplines. They were practicing spiritual habits. Everybody here this morning is a creature of habit. Even the most creative person here this morning that says, oh, I hate tradition. We never do anything the same in our family. Everybody here is a creature of habit. I don't know anyone that puts the milk in a different place every time they open the refrigerator. Well, why do you put it in the same place? Unless your fridge is like ours, just a disaster. But beside the point, thing. you put it in the same place because then when you open it, you know where it's at. And you can just go right to it rather than, where's the milk? We create habits because habits are healthy. They allow us to, to go through life. The question is, do we have habits that promote a life of abiding in Jesus? And this is what we have in the book of Acts. The disciples are developing spiritual disciplines that allow them to remain in Christ. And I know, oh, discipline, no. No, no, we just want to be able to show up kind of here and there and do whatever we want. Discipline. Yet the Christian life, at the end of the day, is not about commitment. It's about 
discipline. A day-to-day discipline. In college, we had to take a fine arts class. One credit, something like voice lessons, guitar lessons, acting. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a disaster thing. So save it till the very end, because I'm not very musical. At least they tell me I'm not very musical. They just haven't seen it in action yet. So I thought, well, we'll take piano thing. How hard can piano class be? Show up to that piano first day of class, and the teacher says, you're going to have to practice 20 minutes a day for an A. I'm thinking, this is a one-credit class. I don't give my three-credit classes 20 minutes a day. Thing, thing. Basically, what she was saying is this, right? If you want to play at the rehearse, what do you call those things? Recital. Recital at the end of the class, you better practice 20 minutes a day to be able to play something. I thought to myself, I'll take the B minus and 20 minutes a week. If you asked me today, if Paul decided not to show up on a Sunday morning, I will not be filling in at the piano. Even though I did get a B minus in piano. Thing. The problem is this. I didn't put in the discipline to become a great piano player. Right? You're sitting in the dorm, you're looking outside, and what's going on? They're playing ultimate frisbee. Well, who wants to practice the piano for 20 minutes when I can go play ultimate frisbee? And the same is true for us in our day-to-day lives as well, right? We see something fun and exciting, right? Oh, it's beautiful, and man, I think I could get a tea time this morning. Maybe a lot nicer golfing this morning. That's got more appeal and excitement than being here and coming and gathering around teaching and fellowship and hearing forgiveness of sins. So we take what? The momentary pleasure over the discipline that brings a long-term reward. It's true for all of us. We see the momentary pleasure and we grab it. But in the history of God's people, God has always put in place spiritual routines, spiritual habits. From the Old Testament, what did they do? What was the center of all activity in the Old Testament? The temple. Everything centered around the temple. Gathering around the temple to hear the... um, the, uh, I'm sorry, the sacrifices that were made, and then to hear teaching from the prophets. You gathered regularly around the temple. It was a routine. Why did they have the Sabbath? The Sabbath provided a routine to the week, a routine to creation to recenter yourselves on the purposes of God. Routine and habit are not bad things at all. God puts them in place so that we have a tool to abide in Christ. Now, here's the danger. You can have all of the habits and all of the disciplines and still miss Jesus. The habits and the disciplines are dangerous because what? They can give us a false sense of security. So for example, when Jesus is preaching, who is Jesus preaching against the majority of the time? The religious leaders. What were the religious leaders doing? Fasting, praying, gathering to study the scriptures, They were doing the disciplines, but what were they doing? They were missing the whole point. They were missing Jesus himself. So one can practice the disciplines, one can have these habits, yet still miss the whole point. So now you're saying, well, just throw out the habits and the disciplines, right? Well, it doesn't work that way. We don't see any evidence of of someone abiding in Christ without the habits and the disciplines. Because the disciplines form us into being people that are faithful to God. Our hope and our confidence are not in the habits themselves, 
but they're in Christ who the habits connect us with. This morning, we would all do really well if we would say, what habits can I form? What routines can I put in my life that would enable me to abide in Christ? So one very practical application that everyone here can take today. Everyone here today can take this practical step. You can find a friend, find a whoever, a partner, and develop habits together. This is the first step I would take. If today you walk out saying, I want to be a consistent Christian, I would contend this is the very first step you need to take. You need to find someone and say, hey, let's develop some discipline and habits together. Why? Because we can't do it alone. This idea of individualized Christianity, where it's my and my little devotional book every morning for three minutes, doesn't work. It creates self-absorbed Christians staring at our own belly buttons. It's fine to read your Bible on your own. That's all right. But we need voices outside of us examining us and keeping us faithful. Because what? All of us go like this. We're up and down, right? How many of you ever tried to lose weight and you said, hey, I'll be, I'm, buying a, I'm buying a, what do you call it? A, oh my goodness. When you go to a, a fitness place, buying a membership thing. I'm buying a membership January 1st, right? And I'm going to be there come February. Where's everybody at? They're all gone. Because you go, all of us go like this. We've got just good things happening to us, bad things happening to us. So we need someone to walk alongside of us so that when we're down in one of these, someone can be up in one of these and just motivate us and encourage us. So when you don't want to go to the fitness center, your partner's like, hey, we're going whether you like it or not. We need the same thing in our spiritual routine as well. We need someone that knows us, someone that walks alongside with us. The best thing you could do this next week is not read the Bible alone every day for five minutes. The best thing you could do is get together two or three times this next week and read the Bible with someone else for 15 to 20 minutes. God has always worked in community. The temple is a community gathered together. The book of Acts, what do they do? They gather together in people's homes. They didn't all have their own individual Bibles, so they gather together for teaching around the apostles. You want to be a consistent Christian. Find a partner. Find someone that you can develop some new habits with. Now we need some motivation, right? I mean, we need some motivation. I had no motivation to practice the piano for 20 minutes a day. Even an A, I was like, hey, what do they call pastors that got C in college? Pastors. <laughs> okay, might as well get the C. I still did all the work. Thing. There was no motivation to practice for 20 minutes a day. We are people that need motivation. So what's our motivation for these spiritual habits that will allow us to abide in Christ? Turn with me, if you would, back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Look with me, if you would, at verse 11. Verse 11, John chapter 15. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Everybody here this morning woke up hungry for happiness. Did anybody wake up this morning and said, I hope today I am grumpy all day long and I hope today I feel 
guilt all day long. I hope today that I'm sad all day long. Everybody in this room is hungry for happiness. You want motivation to abide in Christ? The motivation is right here where Jesus says, you want to have full joy? You want to experience my joy? To experience that, you abide in Christ. Where does our joy come from as Christians? It comes from Christ. Where does our contentment come from as Christians? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, everybody knows it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse actually means I can be content in all circumstances through Christ. Everybody this morning woke up saying, I want contentment and joy. You want that contentment and joy? It's found in abiding in Jesus Christ. You want to abide in Jesus Christ? It's all about developing the discipline and the spiritual routines. That's motivation. I want joy. You put joy out there, I'm going for it. Every decision I make in life, I'm just being honest, is what? About being happy. I can't think of the last decision I made intentionally that was to make my life horrible. I make every decision assuming that I'm making myself happy. You want to pursue joy? Pursue spiritual discipline. That's your motivation right there. But there's actually one step further. There's one greater motivation than our personal joy. Look with me, if you would, back to verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is saying, hey, when you abide in me, there's going to be a lot of fruit. You're going to show people that you're my followers, and then God is glorified. What's at stake in this whole consistency conversation is God's honor. When we're not consistent Christians, God is dishonored. God's glory is diminished. What's, what's lost in hypocrisy? What's lost when we are hip, hypocritical is God is not honored. He's not glorified. But what happens when we're obedient to Christ and we exhibit fruits? God is glorified. What's at stake with our consistency is the glory of God. And I know this, that I will do just about anything for my own honor. And I would contend that the majority of you today as well would do just about anything for your own honor, to make sure that your name is honored. How about the honor of God? What would you do to make sure that God is honored, that God's glory is seen? What's at stake is our joy in God's glory. They go hand in hand. That if you want to experience joy, it's all about seeing God's glory. The consistent Christian is one who abides in Jesus, who's united to Jesus. And we become consistent by developing habits, by putting routines in places that allow us to abide in Christ. And when we develop those routines, when we develop those habits, we begin to exhibit fruit because we're abiding in Christ and God is glorified and we experience joy. This morning, everybody will leave here pursuing happiness. There's one way to pursue it, and that's by being a consistent Christian. Go forth, remaining in Christ and developing spiritual disciplines that will allow you to experience joy and bring God glory. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks today that you have continued to abide with us 
And Lord, I pray that today that you would elevate our thinking and our minds to a position that honors you. I pray this morning right now, God, that each person in this room would have a name upon their mind. I pray that you'd put someone upon everybody's mind, upon everybody's heart, that they could go and develop some spiritual disciplines with. God, give each person in this room a partner. Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you have made us clean by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.